Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. One of the things I've noticed the past few months is the frequency with which people and politicians express a desire for change. This seems to be the key ingredient when leading any effective campaign. There's a change that needs to be made, and so and so knows how to make that change happen. In junior high, I ran for student body president. My campaign was based on a promise that Metallica would play our eighth grade dance. I could not deliver on that promise, but it did get me elected. It was a change that the people wanted. But all jokes aside, I do believe that there is something within us all that wants things to change. We may not agree on what needs to change or what can change or who can bring about real change, but As much as human beings seem to fear change, if you listen, you'll notice that we simultaneously want it and that we're always looking for change. And sometimes when it happens that large groups of people rise up and they call for change together, that we call a revolution. You see, revolutions happen when people are fed up with who or what is ruling their lives, and they believe that only a change in governance will do. All that to say, if you were a Jew living in first century Palestine, you would have been waiting for such a change in governance and praying for a revolution. Because remember, the Jews in Jesus's day were a conquered people. In fact, they had lived under foreign oppression since 721 BC. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks had all ruled over them, and now it was the Romans. And for first century Jews, it was a deeply troubling theological problem to live under Roman rule. After all, God had made a promise to Israel, a promise that they would inherit the land in which they lived, and that God himself would be their king. But paying taxes to Caesar, submitting to Roman rule, this was a problem, and they wanted a revolution. They were fed up with the kingdom of Rome. What they wanted was the kingdom of God. Now, against this backdrop, I want you to imagine an obscure Jewish carpenter from an insignificant corner of the Roman Empire, silently slipping onto the scene with no followers, no credentials, no status, no army, no military, no weapons, no wealth, no land, no home. And his message? That the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was now available. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. Make no mistake, 
the people who heard these words in their original context knew exactly what Jesus meant, that he had come to start a revolution. Now, granted, this revolution was different than any revolution that our world had ever seen. It did not involve any weapons or empires, and Jesus's kingdom would not advance through violence or bloodshed, hatred or revenge. It wasn't like the kingdom of Rome or any other kingdom in the world for that matter. No, the kingdom Jesus spoke of advanced slowly, quietly, and under the surface. The way yeast works its way through dough, or the way that a mustard seed might germinate in the soil. It was a kingdom that spread through faith and love and forgiveness. It wasn't really the kingdom that anyone was expecting, and that's why a lot of people laughed at Jesus's revolution, and many people still do. But a few, were told, actually got it. There were some who encountered Jesus and saw something radically new and holy and life-giving in and through the presence of this magnetic man, like treasure hidden in a field or like a rare and precious pearl. There were some who met Jesus and knew on the spot that their life would change forever because they had found the treasure, the pearl of great price, the one thing their life was now to be about. And these people left everything, their jobs and their homes, and they joined his revolution, traveling from village to village, spending time with the poor and the rich alike, with women and men, young and old, Jew and Gentile, with prostitutes and tax collectors, with priests and lepers and children, and their message was very simple. In Jesus, they said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was now here, and that it was possible for us to live our life with God as our king and for a change of governance to take place within the human heart. And to be very clear about the point of my sermon today, that's it. That it's possible for you and for me to live our life with God as our king and for our life to be governed by grace governed by love, governed by faith. And to participate in this revolution, we don't need to change jobs or join a cult or sell all our possessions or become an activist. We can live our life as a parent, friend, employee, human being in Austin, Texas. We can live our life, the only one we've been given to live with God as our king, having comfort, but not letting our need for comfort rule over us, having money, but not letting our desire for money rule over us, having successes and goals, but not letting our need for success and goals rule over us. We can live this life with God as our king. And as today's gospel makes clear, 
it all begins whenever we get really clear on our treasure. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding the one pearl of great value, he sells all that he has to buy that one pearl. And so what is that one pearl for you? The one thing that when push comes to shove, we are willing to give our whole life and our whole heart to. That, I think, is the question that today's gospel raises. There's a great scene in the movie City Slickers where Mitch, who's experiencing somewhat of a midlife crisis, goes on a two-week vacation, a cattle drive through the desert of the Midwest. The trip is led by Curly, an ancient cowboy wise to the ways of the world. And at one point, Curly asks Mitch if he'd like to know the secret of life. It's this, Curly says, holding up a single finger. It is one thing. The secret of life is to pursue one thing. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks them at the end of today's gospel, have you understood all this? And they say yes. What I think Jesus is asking them to understand is that a wise life begins whenever we can see that the kingdom of heaven is the one thing in life worth pursuing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said and everything else will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom, and then just watch as all that other stuff you tend to worry about falls into place. Because the good news of the Christian gospel is that we are Jesus's one thing. The treasure that he deemed so valuable that he left his father's side to be with us we are the pearl of great price, purchased with the precious blood of God's own Son. As the book of Hebrews puts it, for the sake of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. For the sake of the joy set before him, Jesus did that. And of course, we know what that joy was. It's you. It's me, it's this world. We are Jesus's one thing, his pearl of great price. And so what would it look like for us to know that truth, to embody that truth, to bear witness to that truth, for that truth to govern our life, to govern our actions, to govern our relationships? What would that look like? And the answer I'd give to that question is simple. It would look like a revolution, a revolution of love and forgiveness and beauty, which is the change that our world is desperate for. Amen.